This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Thanks to Eddie Hughes for the last two hours. Eddie, of course, was in for Brian Redmond, who will be back with you next week. On The Bottom Line programme this morning, with reopening preoccupying many businesses who've been locked down since last Christmas, we'll be talking to accountant Alan Seary about how businesses that have been in something of a state of suspended animation should face the huge challenges of a new phase in the recovery from the pandemic. We'll talk to Joe Sheridan and Bridget Kearney, two business people who we first met on this programme this time last year and who at that stage were just beginning to adjust to business during the time of COVID. We'll be talking to them one year on and finding out how they're getting on now. But first, the big news of the week impacting such a huge swathe of the business community was the announcement by the Taoiseach, Michal Martin, on Thursday of a programme of phased reopening of the economy over the next few weeks. Good news for many businesses. Before we came on air, I spoke with Samantha McCochran, business editor of the Sunday Independent, and I started by asking her for her take on the government's announcements. Yeah, I think it was a bit better than a lot of people had expected even a week earlier. So construction, you know, they've been very vocal at wanting to get back there, back right away. Everything that... um, uh, was under question is is, is back because so they were a bit like shaken by there was an outbreak in Intel in Leaflip and that was a bit of a shake for people but that 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 that, that doesn't seem to have changed the view that it was time for construction to open up but what a lot of people are looking forward to is uh, May 10th which is hairdressers um, barbers and uh, you know beauty salons so that's a personal interest for a lot of people to see those reopening but lots of other bits and pieces click and collect for retail. Uh, you know, cultural attraction, property viewings, uh, again, it's something that a lot of people are, have pent-up demand for. And then it quickly kind of rolls into retail, a reopening on May 17th, then you're into hotels, uh, June 2nd, and um, then it keeps going from there, really, a week later, a few days later, you're into outdoor um, outdoor meetings and, and drinks and food, again, something that a lot of people are really looking forward to. So I think, generally speaking, there's a lot of optimism there are a few people who are not happy, though, which is always the case. And I guess the main vocal people at the moment are the bar owners and the restaurants and indoor dining and drinking seems to be some way off. Yeah, because those are, are, are areas where where it's difficult to maintain um, capacity in a limited environment and, and maintain the COVID uh, guidelines. You spoke to a, a Kilkenny hotelier, uh, John Ryan, from the Pembroke Hotel in Kilkenny City Centre recently. What was he telling you about the tourism industry and how it's going to fare over the next while? Yeah, well, like a lot of people in, in his business, like they're just dying to get opened because, you know, that's like that's their nature they want to have people in the doors but he he was talking just about the challenges that are going to uh, continue uh, once there is a reopening because uh, you know don't forget even when like a bar bar opens or uh, and they do have outdoor areas or a hotel opens it's still not just back to the kind of free-for-all like come on in you know fill up the place it's going to be um, more socially distant more careful spaced out and all that so that's one challenge in terms of revenue you won't be getting the same kind of feet through the door sort of thing but uh, he was talking about just some of the financial kind of hangover I suppose from the pandemic and he was saying himself like you know you kind of need 
like he's going to need the guts of 150 grand extra a year just to kind of um, meet costs that like built up over the cost of the pandemic. And uh, we heard a lot about forbearance from like um, revenue commissioners. Like so, there was. Um, sort of warehouse tax so that all has to be paid eventually revenue actually were pretty good to businesses but that that, that bill is still waiting so they have to have to be met um, and then other things like uh, loans he was talking about you know uh, COVID loans from the Strategic Banking Corporation you know that, that those bills still have to be paid and just other things like investment because normally when a hotel is open there will be continual kind of upgrading of premises and, and, and that's all has just kind of stopped and come to a halt. So I think his view was that, look, you know, great to get reopened and he's invested himself in plenty of things like uh, touch-free uh, checking in and doors and things like that that are all going to be positive for a new post-COVID kind of era. But at the end of the day, he's going to just need that extra bit of cash because there are going to be uh, leftover things that are going to be a drag on the business for a while. So it is going to be a challenge even when things open. It won't just be plain sailing, everyone's back. Yeah, now you're talking about forbearance and, and the revenue and creditors and so on. Later on, we'll be talking to an accountant on the programme, Alan Siri, who'll be going into detail with me on those uh, very issues. But just keeping with hospitality, um, people like staying in hotels and they like going on holidays, but they like doing things as well. And I think today uh, your colleague uh, in the Irish Independent, I think it's Richard Curran, writing about the difficulties facing attractions, some very significant ones. I mean, bad news here during the week in Kilkenny with the Smithix experience announcing that it intends to stay closed. Yeah, well, like the Smithix experience is a key example of the type of thing that people like to be able to do when they're um, on holidays. Um, so, yeah, Richard, his column would point out that, um, you know, it's all very well reopening hotels, but, like, what about the other activities that people love and want to do, um, particularly in cities? Because obviously, you know, their own kind of... Uh, Bar, it's the far the W the wide Atlantic Way or somewhere that you're kind of happy enough to get away from attractions. But if you're going to you know Kilkenny or another city, you want to have a, like a lively sort of selection of things to do. And at the moment, under the reopening plan, a lot of those things just won't be possible yet. Like some things are coming back, um, like cultural activities, like um, museums and galleries are reopening, and other things in that space. So that's positive. But like for cities and hotels to really come back, they're going to need activities, and I think it's going to be a balancing act between keeping people safe, but also making sure that there's enough attractions and interest for people. I mean, even if you're going to go to a hotel in, in June, you're allowed to eat in the hotel, but like, part of going to a city is like you try out a few restaurants, and if they're not really open, or there's very limited numbers because it's only outside dining, that's all going to be a challenge. So look, you know, it's great news this is reopening, but there's still loads of challenges and little strange kind of things in the reopening plan that might prove challenging for business owners. Yeah, and uh, one area that is opening quite comprehensively is uh, accommodate or is uh, construction, and that's going to really um, put a lot of people back in the workforce. Yeah, look, that's a that's a that's a positive thing. Like, there's you know you know tens of thousands of people employed in construction. Like a lot of them were back um, already, but there were still like large projects that weren't kind of classified as big uh, FDI projects. So there were a lot of them are still closed. So that's that is a good thing. And look. Um, the housing is already back a while, but the good news is there, like that, that is those wheels are turning again. Because as you know, one of the kind of most unexpected things about the pandemic has been the fact that house prices have gone up. At the beginning, there was lots of warnings from um, various uh, parts of the uh, institutions, like such as the central bank, who were kind of warning that there could be a fall in house prices. Even some of the big banks were saying it themselves. It just hasn't happened like that. There's actually been like people saving like mad and no supplies. So. 
it's been a very bizarre outcome for a difficult event in our kind of uh, economic terms. But look, that's good that, that, that they're back. And, and the fact that the um, construction industry is back, they'll be happy with that. They do have a, like, a big knock-on effect for, you know, other businesses in the area, like your bars and your local shops for your sandwiches and all that type of thing. So that, again, is something that, you know, is only going to benefit the, the economy and the other businesses around them. Yeah, now whatever about the whys and wherefores and the limitations and the restrictions on industries like uh, construction or uh, domestic hospitality, not a lot of light at the end of the tunnel um, for people looking to go abroad. No real roadmap to get planes flying again and, and a big casualty during the week in, in an iconic name indeed in, in Irish international tourism, Bit the Dust. So JWT, Joe, Joe Walsh Tours, is a name very well known in many Irish households. 60 years... Um, up and running in this country and um, it just uh, wound down and it's winding down during the week there which is it's, it's a real sort of symbol of, of where we're at with um, travel and tourism so um, look the reality is travel agents are under pressure for many years like most people are booking on their laptop or their phone or whatever via Ryanair Aer Lingus and then beyond book your hotels so that's sort of an, something that's in terminal decline anyway but look JWT had actually gone into sort of niche areas like pilgrimages and that type of thing, but they just were found that they were still had their overheads. They were challenges getting their kind of insurance claims that they were hoping to get during the pandemic, and they just said if they couldn't continue anymore. Um, look, you know, I think there have been some signals that there may be travel internationally later in the year. Um, Leah Bradker was suggesting that um, over the last day or two, but it's just very unclear. So. I think like most people have uh, just decided to, to book something in Ireland just to have some holiday to look forward to um, even though prices are getting quite high here for some staycations but you know there's no guarantees yet about international travel the DAA actually had results last week in the last few days as well and they're talking about their losses I mean 284 million euro losses and I think for them their priority now is to save something in the summer and have some international travel but there's no real clarity on that yet yeah, just really uh, kind of mood music going that, you know, there's something coming down the line, but pretty difficult for airlines, um, very capital intensive uh, business. And uh, there must be some worried people in, in Aer Lingus and Ryanair and other operators. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Michael O'Leary has been very uh, bullish, as he always is, about the likelihood of everything bouncing back. You know, not everyone in the industry is as optimistic as that. I think there are some airline chiefs who, who have been expressed in concern, you know, and certainly one of our key problems in Ireland is the fact that a lot of flights have been cancelled and we had one of the most um, like, like we were so accessible we had so many routes coming out of Ireland so it was, we were, like, it was so good for business, it was so good for tourism a lot of those actual um, flights are, are, have been cancelled now and those routes have been cancelled so, so there is a concern that they may be in the long term they may come back, but maybe in the medium term we might be just finding ourselves like a little bit more stuck in Ireland. So that's not good news for travel, and that's not good news. A lot of them, those flights that are for passengers, carry out lots of cargo, valuable cargo, and that's something the Irish Exporters Association was uh, expressing to us recently. It's deep concern about how we will look post-COVID and how many of those and flights will actually return in the short term. Yeah, and finally, um, when last we spoke, I think it was March or April, they were very dark months. It was very difficult. Many challenges remaining, but we're into May now and uh, perhaps businesses can look forward to a better uh, number of months ahead if we can keep COVID under, under control. Absolutely. Look, 
there's a lot of positivity. I mean, as you say, there, that, that wasn't the message just a few weeks ago, but the rollout is, is, is seems to be really ch- coming along now. And, um, you know, they've made a bigger leap than we expected in terms of reopening the economy. There's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. And, like, if they do meet the targets of, like, you know, the majority of people having your first vaccine by uh, the end of June, like, you'd have to think that the latter half of the summer will be the best time we've had for quite a while. So that is a lot of reason for optimism, and uh, not just for consumers, but definitely for business as well. So fingers crossed we'll keep continue on that path. Well, look, we leave it on that positive note. Samantha McCochran from the Sunday Independent. Thank you very much. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie At the heart of it all. KCLR. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. This is John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Now, never before have so many businesses opened their doors after a period of prolonged lockdown, the likes of which we have been in since December of last year. So we thought it would be a good idea to get the perspective of an experienced accountant on what issues such businesses need to be aware of and what options they have when the going gets tough. So after the government announcements yesterday, I sat down with Alan Seary of O'Neill Foley Accountants to do just that. To start, I asked him how he thought the announcements made by the Taoiseach and the government on Thursday evening would be received. I think they would receive well, John. Like, I mean, it, we are... Uh, a lot more further on than we were this time last year so there's a real expectation now that this thing will end and it's just a question of, of uh, the clock running down on us uh, so I'd say the business community generally for those businesses that haven't been able to operate as they would wish there's great impatience there to get back into uh, business and servicing their customers And there's been an unprecedented shock to the economy and to businesses it, it was never envisioned that business would be able to survive anything like this many businesses have survived and kept going but many have been in lockdown and will face uh, challenges the likes of which have never really been experienced by the business community before is that an accurate assessment that'd be very accurate john like literally uh, businesses in the country in general had the rug pulled from them when the first lockdown happened there last march or so um and the word that you used there was right unprecedented um but all but also what has also been unprecedented i suppose is the level of status uh, intervention and support given to businesses and the wider community to get us all through this um it's it's people have been closed and they've been on supports many of them but there is a a danger as to how they adapt to reopening many challenges ahead for business can you tell us the kind of challenges that businesses who would be facing into reopening are going to face yeah well i suppose the the first challenge that business will have john is the withdrawal of state support so, such as the employment wage subsidy scheme and the crss scheme um, for some business unfortunately they, they may not have a business to go back to for a while um, like if you think of um, large wedding type venues like it could be long day before people are able to engage in large weddings um, or indeed want to have uh, large weddings um, th- there may be reluctance on some staff to return to work um, and the working from home model now uh, you know will be around for a while and business I suppose will need to just restructure their how they operate and uh, to be able to facilitate employees in that regard um, uh, probably the biggest issue is, is stakeholder funding um, uh, like a lot of businesses uh, have been on pause say with their banks with their landlords you know like so there's been a period of maybe unoccupancy of, of a premises the premises there for over a year um, uh, and revenue and say trade suppliers as well so um, I suppose businesses will be will have to deal with those when they go back 
Mm, and we'll, we'll go through those issues in detail. But just before that, you mentioned about occupancy and capacity and so on. I've heard on Casey Laura over the last couple of days, hairdressers, for example, saying, well, our maximum capacity is now 50% of before outdoor dining, for example, uh, would only be a fraction of indoor dining revenue. So it's important that people don't get caught up in the euphoria of getting back to business, but they keep their eyes very much on the projections and so on. Correct, yeah. Like, I mean, like a limited capacity um, such as that outline for, for hairdressers and for restaurants where they can only have maybe 20 or 30% of the normal capacity that they would have, you know, it's not a, it's not a viable business model in the, in, in the long term for most businesses. So hopefully that's a, that's a short sort of um, first step back. Um, but longer term, like, I mean, that, that wouldn't be a viable business model for most businesses. Yeah. Now, um, talk to me, you mentioned about, you know, rent, landlords, banks, revenue suppliers and all that. How should businesses deal with with all that? And is, is there much pressure being put on people now uh, by those uh, creditors to get the people's houses in order? And how much pressure is that going to put people? Um, well, probably a lot of businesses have been in incubation for the last uh, 12, 15 months, John. So there hasn't been that much pressure being brought to bear on on uh, businesses. Um, but I suppose a few points to note. One would be that, you know, we take a business premises that's rented from a landlord. That landlord themselves or himself or herself, you know, will have their own pressures from their own funding bank in a lot of cases. Um, so um, I suppose... You know, when businesses do reopen that have been closed and they're being leased from a landlord, they will need to be engaging with the landlord as regards, you know, how that last 12 months rent is, is to be addressed. Um, you know, most landlords will, will, will want some contribution and they want they want to see um, a pathway to getting their lease back back on track. Um, you know, landlords will not want to see, a, a, you know, a good tenant leave the premises, um, but at the same time, their position has to be respected as well. So there, there will be... Uh, negotiations to be had there. Um, and what about people demonstrating when they're looking for forbearance or they're looking for, um, you know, a bit of slack to be cut to them? What would uh, you be advising on the other side of the table, you know, landlords or people, creditors? What would you be asking for in return for flexibility? Well, I suppose the, the, the first thing when you're looking for flexibility is, is, is realism both sides, okay? Um, and in as much as, say, a business didn't want to close, the landlord didn't want their, property, their, their rented property closed either. Um, so I think the, the main thing is to for the business firstly to establish whether they have a business plan there, that's, that's viable, and then to, to discuss that with, to discuss the pathway out uh, with a landlord. So if, we take, if you take, say, a landlord uh, position, for example, they may well have to reduce or weigh part of the rent, and that might was well, not, not attractive for a landlord. Um, it would be better than, say, a vacant property rising. Um, uh, so landlords tend not to want to kind of a vacant property uh, arising as a result of a failed enterprise because that sort of puts a mark on the property. Um, uh, and particularly, say, if you take high street properties at the moment where high street is under pressure, you know, if you have a tenant who's wanting and willing to come back and able to come back, um, on a consensual basis with some discount or whatever, uh, that's a better outcome than, say, the, the tenant saying, listen, it's not viable for me to come back at all. Um, so I think I think the main thing is is that um, businesses sort of set out in their own minds what the what their business looks like now and how it can get back on track and how viable it can be, and then to present a business plan to their main stakeholders, be it revenue, be it landlords, be it suppliers, or be it their banks. And cash flow is going to be hugely important as well. You know, it's 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 fine for customer-facing businesses, but uh, people with the longer sort of chain of, of getting the cash in, you know, invoicing, credit, and so on, that's going to be uniquely challenging in this startup and restarting and reopening period. 
It will, and I, I'd imagine that there will be some, say, support providers for businesses that do have uh, cash flow, either you know, an extension of the of the, the banking support regimes that we've seen there, um, or some local enterprise board, Enterprise Ireland type funding. Um, but you're right, like I mean, cash flow cash flow can destroy a profitable a profitable, if you can say the word, business if it goes wrong. So, like you know, business has to be both profitable and cash flow generative. Um, and people will be used to dealing with cash flow usually in the normal course of events, but we're in a much different um, operating environment now with reduced capacities and maybe shocks to demand. And it might even, once people open up with 50% capacity, it might take them a while to get up because the public will take a while to get back to normal or the new normal, uh, so to speak. So really, I would imagine more attention to cash flow than ever and maybe a bit more sophisticated planning. Correct. Correct. And I suppose going back to the point we discussed earlier, like the, the reduced capacity is only sustainable for so long and has to be a stepping stone to return to full capacity, hopefully as soon as we can. But, you know, in, in the near term, you know, because ultimately like a, a business wouldn't have operated at that level and been profitable before. So it's not going to be able to operate at that level and be profitable now. Yeah. And so sadly, as we speak, we've seen an example, the Smithix experience in Kilkenny, where the operators, Diageo, have said, they don't see it as feasible in the future with the new safety regulations uh, that have to be implemented. So that brings it the reality of it home, really. It does, and not only for the Azure, but also for the wider Kilkenny tourism and and uh, com- uh, business community generally. Like they, you know, it's, it's, I think you were saying off air that it's 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 uh, one of the top tourist attractions in Kilkenny. So um, that's one less thing to keep people in the town, uh, which is not good for Kilkenny. Yeah. Now you know all the talk of flexibility and um you know discussions and negotiation about paying what happens where either the debts are too big for people that it's just they're they're carrying too much debt or they can't get the flexibility that we're talking about what should people do then or what are their options well i suppose the the first option is is to uh make sure that you know the, the the well of stakeholder engagement uh, has been visited. So, um, you know the first thing that business should do is to engage with our key stakeholders, revenue uh, landlords, if needs be, uh, trade suppliers, and their banks, and to present sort of their pathway, how they envision that they will get back on track and and deal with with deal with that. So most people, you know, when they hear a problem, they want to hear a solution. You know, and if you go with a solution to key stakeholders, that that tend and you can deliver on that and it looks reasonable um you know they will buy into that after uh, after probably some discussion um if that's not an option um uh, there are uh, restructuring options available for businesses uh, certainly in the corporate sense um so the, the the cheapest one the most seamless one would be what's called a scheme of arrangement um that's attractive for uh, businesses where they have a lot of trade suppliers um uh, less so if you have a lot of revenue debt um, you need 75% acceptance for that um, but it is a legal process it is a legal process but quite, uh, it can be done quite cheaply if there's, if there's engagement there the principle is that what you're presenting to creditors is a scenario whereby they would get more money under a scheme of arrangement than they would get under liquidation um, the liquidation is really the last the last uh, you know Fortical. the last place I'd be wants to go so um, the, the, the second option I suppose more formal option would be what's called examinerships um, or uh, what's now in vogue, ex- examinership lies. So, examinership is where uh, a business gets an independent accountant's report to say that they have uh, a viable business, um, but they have debt there that needs to be reduced for the viable business to be sustainable uh, going forward. Um, so, uh, if an examiner is appointed by the court, and usually are, if a, if, if if there's an accountant's report available, um, they have up to about a hundred days to 
uh, restructure the debts with the with the creditors. Not, not a cheap money. option, though. It, it, it'd be only appropriate for businesses of a certain scale, I would imagine. Yeah, high, uh, like a high court examination process, Jam would probably cost about a hundred thousand. You know, so it's not small money. You know, and that that's a lot of money that could otherwise go to creditors under, say, a scheme of arrangement or even a more informal process. Um, so it would be for larger businesses. There has been talk of um, an examination light type process, whereby rather than going to the high court, you would go to the circuit court. But seemingly. Um, the take up on, on that hasn't been that great um, so like the costs of that are, are, are significant um, some of the examinations that, that have sort of happened over the last while have really left very little for the tr- creditors so it's been a very bitter pill for them to swallow um, but the, the main advantage of examinership is that it allows the business to continue um, and hopefully that you know that the creditor will, will get back or you know some of the loss with future trade uh, with with that company, and obviously there's the benefit of, of the business being retained and jobs being maintained. Okay, finally, can you just briefly give us in a couple of words your your advice to businesses reopening at this difficult time? Well, I think the first thing is is to see well you know what what business is there and how viable is it going forward. If you do have debts with suppliers or revenues uh, revenue rather and banks is to go to them before they come to you and to think about your business plan and show them pathway how you're going to deal with, with liabilities. And m- most businesses will get back, John. You know, some won't, but most businesses will get back. But it, it's, it's key to just kind of work out, listen, how do we get back on our fees? The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie KCLR. Proud to be local. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. You can listen live on KCLR, as many thousands of you are doing at the moment, or on podcast or listen back across a range of different platforms. But wherever you're listening, I hope we find you well. Now, it was just this time last year when I first spoke to Bridget Kearney of Belfam Lingerie in Kieran Street in Kilkenny. Back then, Bridget was adjusting to the new COVID reality and was telling us how she was adapting to the challenges presented to her retail outlet, her bricks and mortar largely retail outlet in the first months of 2020. Now, almost exactly 12 months on, Bridget joins me on the line to tell us how she's getting on. Bridget, how's it been over the past year? Um, hi, John. How are you? Look, it's 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 been a, real, a roller coaster of um, a year, and uh, like you said, it's been a year since we spoke. So back then, we were launching, um, redeveloping our virtual fittings for Belfast Lingerie, um, and uh, yeah, we were starting to kick that off. Yeah, then. and just tell us a bit about your product range. It's, a lot of it is in the name, of course, but uh, your virtual fitting—you were doing virtual bra fittings, which was quite unusual at the time. Yes, it was. Um, so, like, I fit without the use of a measuring tape. Um, and so, really and truly, it, it, it was brilliant for us because then I could take the business to online and offer the virtual fitting. And um, and and thankfully, a lot of our customers and new clientele um, came on board and thankfully it has worked for us and the business. Yeah, now, I spoke to you last May. Uh, we, we had a couple of more months of, of restrictions ahead of us at that stage. There was another lockdown in October. And as we speak, we've been locked down for the past um, four months, I think it is. It's unprecedented. But how how's the business gone? And what have your customers, how have they reacted to, to going online? 
Yeah, so look, I think we all had to adjust, including myself, because I'm a real face-to-face person. I like to have my clientele in the sitting room. So for me, we um, when we launched that, you know, we always had it anyway, so people were familiar with it. It wasn't just new to us. We just we launched it in a bigger scale back then. Um, and um, my clientele were very happy to be able to access lingerie um, during the pandemic, during the lockdown. Um, and, um, and it also brought clientele to us that probably would never get to Kilkenny. Um, so it's something that we will have to keep on to. In, you know, once the shop opens, we will still do it in a smaller scale to what we're doing now. But we will still have it. Um, so our customers were very grateful that they could still communicate with me um, and still be able to buy the lingerie. You must have had to learn a whole new set of skills. Looking back, how did you develop as a person in business over the last 12 months? Um, well, we had to change. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I, I was saying this recently that, you know, I like to be able to go to the shop to to do my, you know, to, to work and be at home to be mammy. Um, so in this way, I had to um, I had to cook the dinner and answer the phone and do loads of different things in the one day. Um, but look, we adjusted and um, I'm very grateful to the my clients that came on board and, and you know kept the business going and, and worked with us and you know we've had a few delays with uh, shipments coming in with Stockwise but everybody has been so patient um, and uh, yeah and look online is the future of retail and it's something that we will have to adjust to and thankfully you know we have taken up on the, the voucher the, the trading voucher and we've redesigned our website um, for, for, the, for the future and we're hoping to launch that um, at the end of May. Yeah, now you mentioned there about, you know, balancing work and family. When you're online, uh, you've probably been at home a lot of the time. Uh, when you have a bricks and mortar store, you're open nine till six or whatever. Yeah. How have you adjusted to the kind of 24 hour always on? You know, any foibles or is there a particular time when people do their lingerie shopping online? No, not really. Um, I, I think you always have to be online when you're self-employed anyway. Um, but um, I, I found that in the evening time, our online orders um, always came through. Um, and then during the morning, people really wanted to communicate with us if they had placed an order the night before. Um, and then, you know, during the day, we were doing our virtual fitting. So what I did notice, John, as time went on, we changed um, certain times of the virtual fitting um, to later in the evening. So on a Thursday evening, I actually do the virtuals between five and nine o'clock at night and the clientele loved that they were getting to talk to me they were they were nearly opening up about their days we had some great conversations i learned so much um from clientele that, um through those hours and we still do it um so like we were all we're always on we're always working and um, to try and do whatever we can to keep the business alive now during these hard times yeah now you mentioned about uh, you know the online being such a crucial part of the future but there must be a future for bricks and mortar retail as well. How do you feel about that? Like, I'm very grateful for online um, through this, um, like in the past few months. But I will always say that bricks and mortar, you cannot, it's a different experience. You are meeting the owner or the staff. You're getting that one-to-one. Um, you know, you, you, it's the experience, isn't it, when you walk into a boutique or a shop that it's a complete different experience to buying something online. So I definitely will always say that I love having my clientele on the shop floor, in my fishing room, and be able to communicate with them face-to-face. Yeah, now we can't counter chickens, but hopefully we're we're facing into uh, a return to opening of bricks and mortar, the so-called non-essential retail. How are you feeling about that? 
Well, I'm very excited I'm uh, to get back um, and um, I'm hoping that this is the last lockdown um, and that um, I'm hoping that once we get back and the doors are open that we can keep the head down and, you know, put everything in place for um, a future and rebuild the business again. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Bridget, uh, when you do reopen, you're in Kieran Street in Kilkenny, but just give a shout out to your website address in case anybody wants to find out what you've got to offer online. Yes, so the website is www.belfemlingerie.ie um, and you'll get all our opening times and all the details from there. Okay, Bridget, thanks very much and best of luck to everyone in Belfam. Thank you. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. Now, it was around this time last year that I last spoke to Bridget, but it was exactly this day last year that I spoke to Joe Sheridan, a man who pre-COVID was one of the country's leading stained glass specialists working with churches and places of worship all over the country. Now, one year ago, Joe was at the forefront of helping businesses protecting their employees and customers in the then novel installation of screens and protective barriers. He was one of the first and the original Pivoters uh, changing his business around. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Joe Sheridan. Joe, how are you this morning? Very good. Uh, very good, John. Thank you very much. Hard to believe it's a year since we last spoke. I remember it well. That's right. Uh, it, it, mad and all as the year was, it seemed to go extremely fast. Um, extremely fast for us, anyway, because we were, we were just flat out busy, to be honest with you. Yeah, now tell us about your business pre-COVID. I mentioned there that you were going to churches and places of worship, the length and breadth of the country. You had a good, viable business, but things change. It did, John. Yeah, sure. Um, the stained glass, we've, our stained glass business was established probably around 35 or 40 years ago. And uh, our main line of business would be churches and cathedrals, as you say, throughout the country. But um, sure, overnight, all sites closed. And um, and unfortunately, all the stained glass work ceased, you know. So we probably had to think quick. And I just seen that there was a market there for protective screens. And uh, we, we we just started making them. And it... it it just went from strength to strength, you know. Yeah, I remember talking to you this day last year, indeed, and, and it was a kind of a novel invention. Um, how how busy have you been and what kind of businesses have you been doing? Uh, oh, it was in really, really busy, I'd say. Genia, I must have been working. It must have been 80 hours a week, I'd say. We were doing pharmacies, shops, hotels, offices, um, and then probably towards the end of it, a lot of, um, yeah, mostly offices, I suppose, at the end, John. Uh, making making it safe for 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 workers to come back back into office spaces and that you know um, yeah and was it um, you were all over the country uh, before with the stained glass presumably you you pulled your radius back in but were you just sticking to Kilkenny or were you covering surrounding counties Carlow Wexford Waterford um, mainly Kilkenny because to be honest with you we were so busy. Um, it would have been. It just would have taken too much time going out and measuring and going fitting the screens outside of the county. Now, however, we we did do a lot of screens in. Uh, we did schools in like the Waterford and Carlow, and um, you know, in, in some of the surrounding areas, Clonmel. We did a bit of work up in Clonmel and places like that, but it was mainly Kilkenny. And we would have done all of the likes of maybe Petmanias and that. Now we did them right through the country, all right. But uh, no, we kind of mainly stayed 
Stead in Kilkenny. And we were very lucky. And, uh, you know, I have to be big thanks to all the, the businesses in Kilkenny because uh, they really, really supported me, you know. Yeah, and uh, you'd be in the know. Do you think protective screens and so on are here to stay? Or can you see a time... What, what are people saying that you're talking to in premises that you visit? Are they, are they here for the long term? Yeah, well, uh, to be honest with you, John, I kind of... I concentrated, I suppose, on a kind of a a high-end kind of finished screen. Um, I All my screens were done in, in, in a safety glass. They weren't a perspex kind of a screen. So a lot of the screens that I put up, certainly in, in, in doctors' uh, waiting rooms and surgeries and uh, shops and that, I know 90% of them are going to stay in place because I suppose they do give a sense of security to people and they're not, to be honest with you, they're not kind of taken from, I suppose, the visual effect of, of, of the counter that they're, that they're sitting on, I suppose, you know. So judging from, from the people that are, that, are, that are after buying them off me, I would say 90% of them are going to, they're going to leave them in place, you know. Yeah, now you had a well-renowned business in stained glass, as I said. Uh, churches have been, uh, you know, closed for many months and closed as places of worship. What's your feeling about that particular part of your business into the future? Yeah, it's certainly a worrying time, there's no question, and it's very challenging for the church at the moment because uh, I suppose not only not only um, have they lost out on, I suppose, a, a, a lot of source of income uh, from all of the masses and collections so forth over the last year, but also, I suppose, the, the, the clergy, they're ageing as well, and unfortunately, there don't seem to be too many young people, um, you know, joining, joining the church. So... It is a little bit worrying, that's for sure. Um, but I suppose in the glass end of things, there's many different kind of angles to it, uh, be it churches, houses, you know, pubs, hotels, restaurants. You know, you, there's many different areas that you, you, you can branch into. Um, and I suppose maybe now, maybe we'll have to look at maybe that more so, you know. Yeah, now, uh, another area that's been very under pressure is the whole rural pub. Uh, and Many of them have been locked down for, like, 50 of the last 52 uh, weeks. But you're a man who's um, <laughs> taken a brave step and you've actually bought a pub in the village of Kells. Tell us about that. <laughs> I did, yeah. Some people say I might be a bit mad, but, uh, yes, that's right. Um, we bought Shirley's Pub in Kells. Uh, Shirley's is, uh, sure, look, it's a, it's a lovely little pub in the heart of the village and uh, it has been closed now for a number of years and uh, it was always something in the back of my mind I said I'd, I'd love to buy it and do it up and, and, and uh, run it again as, as, as a good pub you know? And how are you feeling about the future of small villages such as Kells what have they got to offer in your view? Well Kells is actually like as you know Kells is a beautiful village it has the beautiful Augustinian Priory you know the river uh, lovely mills um, the Round Tower, it has a huge amount to offer. Uh, and to be honest with you, over, the, over this COVID period, it's more and more people that has come out to visit the Kells. And believe it or not, there's people even that live in Kilkenny that have come to see the Priory for the very first time over the past year. So tourists will always be in and around Kells, that, that's for sure. There was a big birthday in Kells yesterday. Oh, a huge birthday in Kells yesterday. Of course, Deirdre O'Neill. Deirdre is just a fabulous, fabulous person. And unfortunately for for uh, Deirdre, 
with the COVID again, it was only restricted to a couple of our family members. But if I, to be honest with John, if it wasn't for COVID, I, I'd say there have been thousands of people out there with all the friends she has. Yeah, she's a, a Deirdre is a legend, and she was forty yesterday. So a big happy birthday to Deirdre. Well, listen, uh, we join in that big happy birthday to Deirdre from everyone in Casey Law. Thanks, Joe. Uh, you're listening to the Bottom Line, the program for and about business, brought to you by Casey Law on air and across a variety of platforms. And listen again, options coming up next. I'll be talking about opportunities for people who would like to enter the media business and take part in a new graduate journalist scheme. Don't go away. KCLR. The heart of two counties. We've talked a lot in this programme about the importance of a healthy, independent media for society, communities and business. Professional journalism covers issues of concern and like we do every week on this programme brings local stories to a wider audience. At the heart of this is journalism, a career choice that offers a unique window into the variety of this wonderful world we all live in. Learning Waves is this independent radio industry's training body of which KCLR is a member and Learning Waves have just announced details of an exciting graduate journalism internship programme. Joining me on the line to talk about it is Teresa Hanratty, Director of Learning Waves. Good morning, Teresa. Morning, John. How are you? Before we talk about this uh, very interesting programme, just tell us a bit about the type of work that Learning Waves does. John, as you said, Learning Waves is the training body for the independent radio sector in Ireland and has been in operation since 2004. And since then, it has invested over 4.1 million in the development and upskilling of people working within the sector. And this investment comes from the members like KCLR and all of the 34 independent radio stations across the country and is supported by Skillnet Ireland and some funding from the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. Yeah, now, um, sorry, go on, Theresa. Together with the stations, I guess, we design and deliver training programmes across all areas of radio, sales, programming, news, management, finance, engineering and administration. Mm. And we're continually designing and developing new programmes as the sector develops and grows. Yeah, now uh, tell us about COVID because training uh, courses traditionally are people meeting in a room and chatting over coffee and flip charts and all that sort of stuff. COVID must have brought about huge changes. Absolutely. And I suppose one of the other key elements of Learning Waves is that it provides a networking opportunity for people working across the the sector. You know, 34 radio stations from right across the country and the training would have provided them with an opportunity to come together, to meet each other, to share opportunities, I suppose, and to discuss challenges that they've had. And since March of last year, all of that has moved online. And we pivoted that word that's been used frequently by everybody um, using Zoom and delivering our training courses online. And while it has been challenging, John, it's also provided us with huge opportunities as well, too, in that we've connected with people, I suppose, that maybe wouldn't have travelled maybe to training courses Mm. and training has become now more accessible. It's probably less time demanding in that we have very much switched from one day or two day training programmes to two hour modules maybe over you know a 10 week period where people are engaging with a trainer once a week for two hours over 10 weeks Um, and it has become more accessible. But I think we all yearn for that time to be back in the training room again to actually get to meet with people like everybody else. Yeah, now journalism is at the kind of centre of uh, the success of all media, really. Paid for journalism as a profession, balanced, fair, impartial, all that kind of good stuff. But it's a skilled profession. And and you've just launched a new internship programme for graduates. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, we've just launched a journalism graduate programme and like you said, look, developing new talent for the radio sector is of huge importance to the future-proofing of the independent radio sector and training is one of the, the key investments by the stations um, that has been happening over the last year to provide new and innovative ways in learning and development and the journalism graduate programme is just one such initiative. It was piloted back in 2019 when the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, along with ourselves and Skillnet Ireland, funded the paid internship for five journalism graduates across five different radio stations for a period of five months. And such was the success of that programme that we went back to the Broadcasting Authority at the end of last year to look for funding for 10 graduates for 2021. And we're delighted to announce last week that we were successful in securing that funding, which will now see 10 graduates placed across 10 different radio stations for a period of five months. That's pretty good training. And and tell us, Theresa, somebody listening uh, this morning and hears that and goes, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing that. Um, What do they have to do and what kind of person typically would they be? I suppose what we are looking for, John, we're looking for graduates, journalism graduates from 2019, 2020, and those coming out of college from 2021. Um, And I suppose having that qualification, but also I suppose having the aptitude to be curious, to want to break new stories, to want to work in a vibrant, creative and innovative sector. And, you know, the the graduate programme will give them the opportunity to work with news editors in the station that they're placed in, to break news stories, to create content that's of interest to them, that's of interest to the audience of the radio station that they're working in. So I suppose along with the qualifications, we're looking for people who are really, really motivated and want to work in this sector that are creative. And there's huge opportunities in terms of the creative element that is available to them through this programme because they'll be designing content not only for on air, but also for the online channels that radio stations now broadcast their content on. Yeah, now, uh, Therese, if someone's interested, how do they put their name in the hat, I suppose, or their hat in the ring? Um, very simply, John, if to go to our website, it's learningwaves.ie and on the website, there's a specific page designated to the Journalism Graduate Programme and the application form is available on the website. So and they put in their details, their CV. We want to hear a demo. We want to hear what they sound like on air. And the closing date is the 21st of May. 21st of May. Today, the 1st of May, of course. So get your skates on and get to learningwaves.ie. Thanks very much, Teresa. That's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Remember, if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us, you can email the bottom line at kclaura96fm.com. Or if you'd like to listen back to this show or any episode of The Bottom Line, just check out the KCLR app. And while you're at it, head to the podcast section of the app to check out some of the other great podcasts we've got, like our rugby podcast, The Knock On. And of course, you can find us on the Apple Store, Google Play or Spotify. Just search the bottom line on Casey Lauren. Don't forget to give it a rating or a review. Thanks to all our guests this week. Samantha McCochran, Alan Seary, Bridget Kearney, Joe Sheridan and Teresa Hanratty. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show and thanks to you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode and more interesting business-related stories. In the meantime, wherever you are and whoever you're listening, have yourself a good week. Stay safe, stay distanced and stay tuned to Casey and keep the faith. KCLR's Bottom Line. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie